church, was you ever made to feel shamed, guilty, because maybe you weren't spiritual enough? Maybe you used a word in your dialogue that to the other person wasn't Christian. And so you weren't quite as spiritual. Do you get where I'm coming from? Why do I mention that? Because you get a little taste of what the Colossian heresy was all about. And tonight, I'm looking forward to messing you up. How many are ready to be messed up a little bit? You know, there's there's a portion where Peter talks about girding up the loins of your mind. We would reckon that to today's language of roll up your sleeves and get ready to work. What he's saying is roll up your sleeves and get ready to radically rethink everything you've ever thought before. A lot of what we understand and a lot of what we live by is stuff that we've been taught about, influenced by. And it's never really been biblically based. It's been exerted and thumped on us. But I want to come into this teaching that Paul is coming up against in Colossians when he declares that Christ is, or when he declares the sufficiency of Christ. So what I'd like to do is let's go ahead and get into several verses here, beginning with verse 8 of chapter 2 of Colossians. This is a powerhouse of scriptures. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him... You were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Wow, that's heavy. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public spectacle or display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Where do you want to begin? That's that's a lot. But in the light of the Christ that Paul has been so vividly sketching out to us, his preeminence that is in all things, in the light of that that we've talked about, he now comes to grips with the practical issues and the problems that were there in Colossae. He's hitting them straight on. It's the same problem, honestly, that we have faced many times over, Year after year, decades after decades, centuries after centuries, the kind of heresy that we're dealing with in Colossae is the same kind of heresy that was rampant in the first hundred years of the church. But but what's interesting is that all of the heresies of the ancient church are still with us. I I, I mean, in, in that sense... They're just, or can I put it this way, they're wearing different clothes. It's still the same thing. They just have different clothes, but they're still here. 
Uh, last week we talked about the Jehovah Witnesses. Well, you know, the old Aryans, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, of the second and third century. Uh, it's as old as that, really. It's just turned up in different clothes today. But as we come to this Colossian heresy, the problem that they had there, to put it literally in our modern understanding of it, is that they were saying that Jesus is the great example. No doubt about that. And Jesus being the great example, listen, we must do our best to be like him. Hmm. Now, I, I, you know, I can, I can see your eyes. You're thinking, you know, what's wrong with that? Uh, I told you, just different clothes. We'll, we'll get there. Uh, I want you to weigh those words. Weigh them. Jesus is the great example. Now, they would admit that when we had faith in him, he did save us. But I would have to put in there, what do you mean by that? Because what they would do is immediately go on to say that now that he has saved us, now he's our example, and we must try to be like him. Okay, I told you I'd preach that. To be like Jesus. To be like, remember that song? And, and I know what it means, but it comes out like the Colossian heresy. Now, don't lose me. Stay with me tonight. That is that Jesus is the example, and all I ask is to be like him. That's all I ask. And, and of course, right in there, in, in what we're talking about, God's there. God is right alongside of us. And so I pray to God to be, to be like Jesus. Dear God, I want to be just like you. You have given me the grand example of, of what a man is supposed to be like, and now I'm asking you, I'm asking you, please help me to, to be like him. I hope you're going to get this. I really do, because right now I can see you're going, oh, <laughs> God. And remember, he's over there, so I pray to him, because he's distant from me, that you will send me something that will help me to try and be like Jesus. And right alongside me, then, is also the, I'll call them the elite of the church. These special teachers, okay? They're there as well. And they're, they're, they're going, well, they're really not going to help me. I, I have to pray to God to get help. But they are going to give me a list of the rules that will tell me the things that I need to avoid and the things that I must attach myself to, the places I got to avoid and the places that I do need to go and the dates that I must keep and the clothes I've got to wear and all these things. The list given to me by the teachers because they know they have a special Jesus for me. I forget to do this. So much agenda here, but that's okay. So, so they're they're, so they're going to give me all of that, right? So, from one side of the church, they're telling me all the things that I ought to do or that I ought to not do in order to be like Jesus. And on the other side, I have God, and and I cry to Him to be like Jesus to keep all the rules. But along with keeping all the rules, I'm also given I'm also given all the methods so that I have the methods whereby I will not have to go here or, or go there or do this or, or do that so that I might be like Jesus. You can, you can find this in Colossians. It's all, it's all there. L let me put it this way. They viewed Christianity as a list of doing or not doing and beyond all the doing or the not doing was God and if I can just get through all the doings and not doings I will know this incredible happy union and walk with God as a result of that 
look at look at chapter two and verse eight again. It says, "See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy, and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ." Here are men who say, "Oh, we know you have to you ha- you have to do what we instruct you to do." I mean, this is. This is what the church believes. Paul says, don't let anybody put shackles on you, take you captive through these deceptions, these traditions of men. Uh, look at verse 16. It, it's, it says, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. That is, if you eat or drink this, you've had it. But if you eat and drink causeway, you're in. He said, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or festival or new moon or the Sabbath day. That is, let no one tell you that you have to keep this day in order to be a Christian. Let no one tell you that if you don't respect the festival, you're you're not a Christian. He said, don't let them come in with their empty deceptions, lording it over you. So I'll I'll ask your permission again. Can I mess you up a little bit tonight? If I haven't done so already. Christianity is not concerned primarily, and I note the word primarily, with doing or not doing. Because I'll tell you right up front, it's the big problem with a lot of people. People will say, I know this fine person who does all these things and, and so forth, and, and then there's this, you know, Christian who they're not half as good as this other person is. Well, you don't threaten me with statements like that because I'll tell you right away, Christianity is not primarily concerned with what you do or with what you do not do. Christianity is primarily concerned with what is the source from which you do and do not do what you do not do. (laughs) I mean, it's not what you're doing, okay? It's where you're living from, from where your life is flowing. I'm not concerned with what you're doing, not yet. We'll get to that. I'm not concerned with what you're doing. It's where you're you're doing it from. What is the source of the spring? And, And we'll get into water later on. But what's the source? That's the point. So then suddenly I'm not concerned about the rules and That will deal with the waters, but that's not my concern. My concern is the life from which it comes. That's the point. It's not, you know, some mysterious secret like I belong to this group who has the understanding. Therefore, I have what you haven't got. And that's not the point. I'm not looking at, 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 at a Christ, the impossible example and trying to be like him. I'm not looking at Christ as the teacher and trying to keep his rules. The whole of Christianity, friend, is Christ himself, period. Not his rules, but himself. That's the whole point of Christianity. Christ himself living inside us, the principle of life. And as a result of that, the actions will take care of themselves. You find in these epistles that some of the things that they did were, well, they weren't so hot, okay? That's why the epistles were written. And yet at the same time, Paul's coming back to the heart of the matter. Christ himself lived inside of them. Therefore, he had hope. He had hope for what they would be. How many know it's a process 
So the actions will take care of themselves as long as the heart of the matter was right. Jesus' great concern was, are you a fig tree or a thorn bush? Because if you're a fig tree, you'll produce figs when it's harvest time. If you're a thorn bush, you'll produce thorns. You don't just go to a fruit tree and find fruit. Hello? You first of all ask, what kind of a tree is it? You don't tie pears onto an apple tree and call it a pear tree. Apples are going to sooner or later show up and blow your entire theory. Hello? You don't put people in a straitjacket and make them walk like Christians. They may look like it, but sooner or later, it's going to show up. It's the inner principle that counts. It's not what you're doing right now. It's what you're coming from. If you're coming from the right place, you'll end up doing the right thing sooner or later, absolutely, positively. That was the whole message or the whole essence of the new covenant, which we've talked about before. You remember Jeremiah 31, 31, and Ezekiel 36 and 37. God said, I will write my law in your heart. I will put it in your mind. That, believe me, is the point. He said, you've had the law where? Out here. And you've been trying to keep it out here. The new covenant is a new way of doing things. The law will be inside of you. I don't know if you catch it, but that means that that leaves nothing outside. It's not out here anymore. It's in here. It will be inside. I mean, I won't be living towards doing something. I'll be living towards being something, someone. Hello? In Ezekiel, I hope you get this. He says, I will put my spirit within you. It's saying the same thing. For his spirit himself is the law. He comes in me, and from within me, he is himself. Then again, maybe you've heard that before, but my trouble is I try so hard to get Christ into me. (laughs) The point is, and understand this, if you're born again, he's yours. You see, this is the whole message of Colossians. The heretic appealed to their feelings, emotional feelings. They said, you don't feel like you're near to God, do you? And you don't feel as if you're a conqueror, do you? No. no. And, and you don't feel as if you're pleasing God now, do you? Well, no. Then you need to start doing this and doing that and not doing this and not doing that in order to get there. Hello. And the whole message of Colossians is, uh-uh. would you please wake up and realize that you are there. You don't have to get Christ into you. If you're born again, he is there. And you have to learn to live in the, and I call it the isness, I-S-N-E-S-S, isness of Christ. He is. He is. So uh, he, he says in, in, look at verse 11 in chapter 2 there. It says, having canceled out the certificate of death consisting of decrees against us, uh, Wrong one. That's 14. I want 11. And in him, I'm sorry, I just get carried away here. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, in the church of the Old Testament, entrance into the physical community of the Old Testament, you were born and Israelite. 
And so when you were born, you entered the community. And upon that, the male was always circumcised. You, you then bore in your body the mark of the covenant. It was a symbol that the old independent way of life that was in the world all around you had been taken away. In other words, the word would be better understood as stripped off. Now, said Paul, you have entered a new Israel. And upon entrance into this Israel, a company of people joined to Christ who is the head. Your old independent self was finally dealt with. Everything that Jesus did was the stripping away of your old independent self. I want you to understand what I'm about to say. God does not deal with you as individuals. God does not deal as an individual. He dealt with one individual, and in doing so, he has dealt with all of us. You get that? There are so many that struggle. They, they, want, they, they literally want to go through a crucifying experience themselves. Well, you know, if you really want to do that, I can help you with it. Just saying. But in actual fact, God crucified one man, and that one man took in all of us. Some would like to have a personal burial and resurrection, but God buried one man. He resurrected one man, and in so doing, he resurrected all of us. That's the understanding of in Christ. Us in him. On the cross, in the resurrection. I, I, you understand when I say that we were in him, right? Uh, let, me, let me give you an example. And I brought this out to, to show you what I'm talking about. I mean, I had this book, right? Hello, here's the book. I have a pencil. I'm going to take this pencil and I'm going to put it in this book like so, right? So the book is in the, I'm sorry, the pencil is in this book. Now, wherever the book goes, right? I haven't touched the pencil. I wasn't dealing. I'm not dealing with the pencil at this moment, right? I'm dealing with the book. But the pencil's in the book. God says in Corinthians, place you in Christ. In the actual historical event that took place at the cross, Jesus was acting in a very real, vital way, not just in words. This, I want you to get the, it's a real thing. Jesus is the actual representative of you and of me. God took you and all of your independent self, your, 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 your self-willing self, and placed you into vital union with Christ so that whatever happens to Christ, happens to you. Does that make sense? Okay, so Paul looks at the cross, and he sees us. And specifically, he sees himself so that he'll say elsewhere, I am crucified with Christ. I live yet not, you, you know, even as, as, as that, <laughs> that, that pencil was placed in the book, it was Christ being crucified, but what happened to him happened to us. We are actually vitally there. I hope you see that. Because God says, I already included you into the final, all-including, all-embracing death. And it was, it was buried out of sight in the burial of Christ. And when he rose again from the dead, he left that independent, self-willing self behind. And, 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 and as he ascended to the right hand of the Father, you ascended with him. He received the Holy Spirit, and you received the gift of the Holy Spirit in him. Do, do you see what Paul is saying here? And how did you make that your own? How does it actually become yours? 
it's it's when I simply, without any other crutches, rely on the fact that it is what God did in Jesus Christ. I will never again struggle to kill myself. I'll never again try to get rid of my independent self. I will rest instead. God did it once and for all in the work that Jesus Christ did. And there occurs a a circumcision, not made with hands, Paul said. It, It is an inside circumcision where my old independent self then is removed. The Greek word that is used here for the stripping off of It's the stripping off of clothes. You know, you go to take a shower, you don't leave your clothes on. You take your clothes off. And and, and the Greek word there is that you take them off and you throw them over there. You don't keep them with you. You throw them off. So they're removed, in other words. Not just take them off, but remove them from you. And, and, And it says that as you rest in Jesus Christ and what he has done, there is an invisible inside circumcision of a stripping away, a removal from you of the old you. And it said that that occurred in baptism. Now, I don't want to spend too much time here, but in the early church, you expressed your faith in Christ by baptism. Nowhere in the Bible or in the early church history is there any record of a person being baptized and after that being born again. It just doesn't work that way. So, I mean, always, first of all, faith in the work that God accomplished in Christ and rest, rest in there, and then immediately expressing that in baptism. And in that act of baptism, there is, I'll call it the relief. In fact, look look at verse 12 one more time. It says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, faith in the working, a better word even would be the power of God. Now, in that moment, let me, let me just, in that moment of the relief of faith, there is coming into me the power of the resurrection. I have died when Christ died. I was buried when he was buried. That old me is gone. And as I express my faith, which the early church always did through baptism, and that same power in which he raised and I was in him is now brought to me in the Holy Spirit. If that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he will quickly open my eyes then and realize that I am seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do do you follow me with this? The, 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 The trouble I see in waiting a long time to be baptized after an expression of faith is that so many are trying to express that faith in such a final way that at, at every, I mean, they, you see them respond to the altar every time. You know, every time there's an altar call, they're up there from that point. And, and, and if there's somebody that's, that's praying for people, well, then pray for me because, look, baptism expresses that faith. And you know that you are dead and now alive. That's the whole point of baptism. Well, when I enter that new birth, it says, my old self is gone. I have been raised again from the dead, and now Jesus Christ lives in me. So in chapter 3 and verse 3, what does it say? It says, for you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ, in God. Wow. Okay, hold that. Uh, Let's go back to verse 12 uh, again and uh, read on from there. Let Let me just... Having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, 
he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. We, we, we had a legal debt, okay? It was called the certificate of debt, or another translation puts it as writing of requirements that was against us. Now, I think you might know what that is. Like, for example, when you get a bill, like a credit card bill, there's a whole list of things that you owe on there, right? That's a list of requirements that are against you. So in this case, it was the law of God that was against us. We had broken it, and it demanded payment, and we couldn't pay it. It said it was contrary to or hostile to us because once it was there, we struggled and tried to keep it. And the more we struggled and tried to make ourselves worthy by keeping it, the more we found we couldn't. And so the law became hostile to us. It became our enemy. Even though it was good, it became our enemy because we couldn't keep it. And these Colossians were imploring all these methods. They're trying to do this and do that, trying to keep the law of God. But the problem was they were wallowing in failure. Now it says that Christ took that out of the way. Imagine someone wiping out all of your financial I mean, now you are a free man. He just, he just took it out of the way. He, he did, I mean, well, ask the question, how did he do that? It says he nailed it to the cross. Now, notice how it says that in verse 13. It says, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all our transgressions, having canceled out all the certificate and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Do you remember when Pontius Pilate ordered the crucifixion of Jesus? He had ordered that over his head should be this uh, inscription that is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. So over the head of prisoners, in fact, when they left the Tower of Antonia on their way to kill, uh, to be crucified, which, which, which happened all the time in the Roman Empire, as they came out, they, they were boxed in by, by soldiers, uh, by, by the Roman soldiers. It was a cell, I would call it, made up of living bars, okay? And, and in the center of that box of soldiers was the prisoner. And he carried on his back, right, the, the, this, this cross. And his hands would be shackled. And so he'd, he'd have it up here. And the cross would be coming through his hands. And, and, and the soldiers, that, the soldier in front then would be carrying a plaque. And on it would be all the crimes that are now producing this crucifixion. They didn't do that with Jesus because there really wasn't time. But... With the others, the soldiers would carry that plaque that would explain that this is why this guy's died. It was the Roman that said, you know, watch it. You do this, you get that. The way it came to Jesus, Pilate knew there was not one thing for which they were crucifying. Nothing. They were crucifying because in their heads he didn't have the guts to stand up to Caiaphas. So Pilate put not a crime, but a statement of fact. Now, Paul says that God saw what Roman soldiers carried, the real crime for which, or the real crimes for which Jesus died. God saw written on the board every sin that mankind had ever committed. That's the reason he's dying. When they finally got to the cross, without going into all the details of crucifixion, that cross was simply put together 
by a nail through two pieces of wood. So he is hung on that cross right above his head is the reason he's dying. Now, said Paul, nailed above his head. Not the king of the Jews. That wasn't a crime. But nailed to the cross were all the crimes which he was dying. The sum total of all mankind's sins. Remember what it says in in Isaiah 53 there. It says all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. All of our sins. And, and, And first of all, he said, your independent self was included into Christ. So that whatever happened to him happened to you. But now on top of that, all the sins that you have personally committed were included into Christ. So not only yourself, but all the things that self has done. The debts, the sins, they are met in Jesus Christ. Listen to me very carefully. He has done it all. It is blasphemy to add anything else to it. I'll say it again. If he has already done it all, then it's blasphemy to add, to add anything else to it. And I weigh those words very, very carefully. This is, this is the very heart of the gospel. You add one thing to that. You, you, you say to be saved is believing Christ and? I say blasphemy. If that Christ that we've just spoken of took my place and finished the work to add one thing to that is not just being a little bit different. It's blasphemy. There is nothing that can be added. There is nothing that you'll ever be able to do. There is no experience that you will ever have that will produce the forgiveness of your sins in you or destroy your own independent self. You look back to what he has done and say what he has said, it is finished. You can't add to that. You see, there are some people who believe that, you know, if only they could, you know, have this experience or go through this or do this or do that and, 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 and so forth, that they would begin that once they reach that point, they would begin to live a fantastic Christian life. Okay, so what you are saying is our salvation is what Christ did and. Hmm, interesting. You'll be saved if you don't do this or you don't do that. Do you realize really what you're saying? You are saying that I am saved by the fact that Jesus Christ died and rose again and... I don't do this and I don't do that. Therefore, I'm saved. Can I say something? I've I've told you this many times. But what is the definition of a cult? Anything that adds or takes away from the cross is a cult. You take a look at the church. Scares the living tar out of me. But there is... No and to this. Christ has done it all. And it's not something you have to struggle for. It's not something, I mean, it's something he's already done. Hello? So faith doesn't look forward and say, well, it will happen someday. It it will. And and whenever I can get the victory over this or, or stop doing that, then, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'll, be, I'll be a little bit better. No, faith looks back and says, he did it perfectly. It's all done. Faith looks back and rests. It's been done. And in all of that, he says, the demonic has been conquered. Look at verse 15. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Now, all these demon powers that the Colossians were so upset about, he said, at the cross and his resurrection, he disarmed them. 
Now notice that. He disarmed them. He, it didn't say he killed them, but he disarmed them. They are still there, but they're not armed. They don't have any weapons. From other verses, it appears that these powers literally opposed Christ in the resurrection. I'm not going to get into that. It's a whole other teaching. But that was the finale when Christ rose again, when he threw off the demon powers forever and ever, period. But that brings me, I'm just, I'm sorry, my mind's just going 90 miles an hour with this. But I, I, I want you to notice that what he does is make a public display of that. And, and again, you know the history that when a Roman general returned from a battle that he had won, their custom was to take a number of the slaves that had been taken captive and they would chain them to the chariot of the Roman general. And the Roman general would then have a great big parade right through the center of Rome and there tied to his chariot was usually also the king of the nation that he had conquered. And the king and the lords would all be chained together and dragged through behind the chariot. It was called making a public a public display of the victory. The idea is that Christ overcame Satan and tied to his chariot wheels as he ascended was all the powers of hell displayed before before all eyes to see and they have no power left anymore. They have been totally, completely so, what are you Colossians doing? All worried about overcoming demons? He said, join the Christ, all is dealt with. Again, the isness of Christ. So my dependent self was crucified with Christ. All my sins were crucified with Christ. All the powers of darkness gathered against me were disarmed at the resurrection. And who am I? If I died, then who am I? Well, that's the message of Colossians. You don't need rules and regulations. You're dead. <laughs> Look at me. There's so much I could do right there. I want to do it. But you don't need to struggle for acceptance with God. You are accepted in the cross. You don't need secret words to overcome demons. Christ has already done it. And you don't need to struggle because our Christ has become your very life. Can somebody say amen? See, he, he moves right, he moves right on from there into chapter 3. And, and, and look at verse 4. He says, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Huh. Who is our life. My old independent life was stripped off, thrown away. And with that, all the regulations to try and, and, and hold it in control. Now I, I, I have a new life. And the life is the person of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 11. It, it, it says uh, in Colossians in chapter 3, it says, A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Think about that. Christ is all. I mean, let's face it, all is a pretty inclusive word, right? I mean, all is all. That's who he is. He's just that means I can never be anything if he is all. The heresy was try and be like Jesus. That means Jesus is loving, so now you try and be loving. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to be improved so that you could be like Jesus? I'd like to be more good. How about you? Yeah. I would like to find this thing called the will of God, and do I. And then God, he'd be proud of me. And, and finally, finally, pastor made it. I got to be like Jesus, full of patience. 
for a minute or two anyway. But wait, it says my old self was rolled away in the death of Christ. And instead, I now have a person who is my new life, and that person is A-L-L, all. And if he's all and he's my life, that doesn't leave anything for me because Christ is all and in me. So do you mean, Paul, that pastor can never be loving? Basically, that's right. <laughs> pastor in himself can never be loving, so he might as well just give up. You know what I can do now then? I can look at myself in the mirror and say, hey, <laughs> what else did you expect? Did you really expect that you at any time, you in yourself, by yourself, would be anything else but unloving? If Christ is all, all that I will ever be, Christ living in me, through me, and at that moment, I, I look to myself to be, I have missed the fact that God got rid of me when Christ rose again. If I'm going to be anything, it must be Christ living in me, period. That means I'll never despair over my failure. Because I know, left to myself, I'll always be a failure. The only way I'll ever be a success, I'll ever live the Christian life, is Christ living inside of me, his own life. So, so it says in, 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 in John, First John chapter 4, verse 16, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is what? He doesn't have it. He is it, right? I have a watch. See that? Doesn't mean I'm looking at it to see what time it is. Too bad, right? <laughs> but I have a watch. Now, I can give it to you, right? I can take it off and I can give it to you. But if I, I, if I, that means I have a watch. But watch, the only way I can give it to you is by giving you my whole self to you. God doesn't have a thing called love to give away. He is it. He gives his whole self to us. So I can never be, listen, can never be loving. I can only contain God who is love. Wow. Does that make sense? Do, do we, are we grabbing this? Because in, in Mark 10 and verse 18, it says that God is goodness. That means that I can never be good in myself. The only way I can be good is to be the container of him who is goodness. Are we getting it yet? John 14, verse 6, Colossians 3 and 4, make it plain that even eternal life is not a thing, but a gift that we get. Jesus said what? I am the life. We just read that Christ is our life. Life is not a thing. It's a person. So I don't get life. I have a relationship to a person, and we call it life. You'll find in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, actually verse 30, says that Christ is our wisdom. So I don't seek the will of God and then find it and then run with it. Christ is the wisdom of God. The will of God, wisdom, is a person who lives inside of me. Do you remember, in, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, I think you know this one already, is that he's the author and the finisher of our faith, right? In essence, he is our source of faith. Remember what Paul says in Galatians, the life that I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. When God said, I am, that is the greatest statement of faith, friend. 
He's declaring his faith in himself, the I am. So in a very real sense, faith isn't something I get. Faith is God having faith in himself inside me. Ephesians 2 tells us in verse 14 that Christ is our peace. So peace is not something I get either. Peace is the person of Christ inside me. Those things will never, ever be found in man. And, and while I put up with the rule here and, and say do this over there, and if I do that, then, then I'll have peace. Do this and you'll have faith. Here are five easy steps of faith. Do this and, and you'll be good. I mean, do this and you'll have love. Uh, well, no, says Paul. All the do's belong to human, independent self, trying in itself to be like God. He says all that was stripped off. It's, it's gone. You now rest in your real life. And your real life isn't you struggling to be like God. It is God himself in you. What did Jesus say? He said, without me, you can do nothing. John 17, 34. And nothing is nothing. It, if it's just you, you will never be improved. Your independent will never be improved. The only way you grow at all, friend, is to become more helpless. And the more helpless you are, the more you'll express Christ, who is your true life. So understand, maturity isn't how well you're doing things, how disciplined your life has become. It's not in yourself getting better. It is that you see yourself for who you are. So you're more helpless and you allow Christ to live his life in you all, the mu all that much more. The more you're dependent upon him, the more mature you become in Christ. The weaker you are, the stronger you are, the more mature you are. Look here. Paul says Christ is our life. It doesn't say he gives it to us. Oh, hello. He is it. It's not something he gives. He is it. He is a new self inside of us. Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, actually is living his life inside each one of us. There is another self in me. There is another self inside of me who thinks. Another self inside of me who feels, who loves, who is himself. That's my life. Look, I'm not a robot, okay? I must continue to choose to think his thoughts after him, to feel his feelings, to, to, to let his life be my life. It's, it's, it's the union with a person at the heart of my being. Remember what 1 Corinthians says in chapter 2, it says, Paul said, but we have the mind of Christ. Christ thinks his thoughts inside me. You, you don't need rules out here to know what he's thinking. You know what he's thinking. I mean, let's face it. Let's be real. We, we don't have a problem with the will of, will of God. You know what God wants. The problem is we don't want to do it. That's the problem. So we pretend that we don't know it is what we do. You know it. You've got the mind of Christ. There's another self inside of you. The eternal, unbeginning self lives inside of you and thinks his thoughts in you, and you know what they are. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 20 there? He says, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Let me just put it this way. There, there are two ways that you can speak. You can speak out of your independent self, or you can speak what you know the Spirit is speaking inside of you. God speaks 
inside of us if we want them to. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. There are two wills in front of I remember growing up, man, there are all there two wills. You know, you got God's will and you got the devil's will and they're always fighting, you know. And depends on which one, you know, you're, you're feeding, you know, and the other one's getting crumbs. That one's growing and the other one's dying. And you just go on through all these things of independence to you. Just, I'm telling you, there are two wills inside of us, our will and God's will. God's will in you. God wills in you. And he's also the energy in you to will and to do. anointing. Those are my prayers every night. To know your heart, to know your mind, to hear your voice. Awareness of your presence. I prayed over my family. I prayed over this church. Over you. Look, let, let me just wrap it up. You, you, you might believe in the Colossian heresy because you don't feel it. Well, let me one more time repeat it to you again. He is in us, period. Know who you are in Christ. The sufficiency Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for, I have to call it bearing witness within us. There's something that jumps up. It's alive. Your spirit from the dead. Speaking to us, guiding us, opening our eyes of understanding, filling us with the knowledge of your will, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Lord, revelation of who our Lord Jesus Christ is, what he's done who we are in him, and who he is in us. I pray, God, continue to stir within us. Continue to utter, guide, direct within us. Bless them, I pray. Strengthen them. Thank you. I can't. Amen. Would you stand with me? It's a slow process getting up, isn't it? <laughs> Do me a favor and turn to your neighbor and say, I'm done. <laughs> yes, I'm done. Okay. That's fine. Uh, to each his own. I'll just make it harder next week, that's all. But anyways, uh, here, here's, <laughs> here's, here's the thing. We have a few more sessions to go into this final statement. Still about the sufficiency of Christ. Do yourself a favor. Go ahead and read the rest of Colossians. Get into it. Read the whole epistle at one setting. Find yourself being drenched in what he's saying so that when the Spirit continues to flee, he's going to show you things even before we get to things. Because that's who he is in you. He is your life. I know what it's like to grow up as a kid being made felt guilty because I wasn't doing all the right things, going all the right places. But my goodness, God still worked his work within me. I, I, I remember... God, I'm going to be more spiritual. I'm going to read your Bible. And I'd lay there in bed and read it, right? And then I'd wake up and find that I fell asleep reading God's Word, and I felt so guilty. I fell asleep with the Word. You, you realize the, the, the stuff that's, that's been in there and gets in there? It's still around. It, it's still around. If, 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 if you live a certain way, walk a certain way, talk a certain way, don't observe this, don't observe that, go here, go there. You know, I, I, I totally get it. The problem is, the church 
usurped the spirit of God. Instead of allowing the spirit to do the work inside of people, we infringe a rule and regulations upon them. That's heresy, man. Let God work his work. There have been things in my life as I have walked through that that he has dealt with one after another. I, I didn't like them, but they were a part of me. But he's dealt with them. He's worked his life in me as I continue to become more and more helpless. His strength becomes perfect. That word perfect doesn't mean I'm doing everything right. It means I'm becoming more and more complete in Him, more whole in Him, if that makes sense. May God bless you, keep you. There's always room if you'd like to find a place for prayer. We're here to support you as you are. But greet one another, love one another. It's almost dark outside. It's getting there real quick. But anyways, love one another. God bless you.